Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov, and you're listening to Tennis Podcast. Hi, I'm Mats Villander, and you are listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. The year's major tournaments are behind us. The Davis Cup by BNP Paribas semifinals are done. And my word, though, there is still plenty to talk about. We are the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. My name is David Law. I'm joined remotely by Catherine Whittaker. And the reason that Catherine and Whittaker and myself are not in each other's company is because Catherine sounds like this. Hello, Catherine. Yes, joining you on the Tennis Podcast this week, it's it's Tom Waits. Oh, it's voiceover woman. Excellent. <laughs> Catherine is... Uh, kind of with us and uh, basically I've said I am not going to sit in the same room as you sounding like that and giving me your lurgy Uh, and so here we are a million miles away from each other but still together in spirit and together on a tennis podcast. Catherine Whittaker, Britain have a new number one player because Joe Conta is the new British number one having qualified in Wuhan and won her first round match beating for the second time Andrea Petkovic. Heather Watson also qualified in Wuhan but she lost today in a match uh, that we covered on BT Sport. I was commentating today, albeit not on Heather Watson's match, and she went down in three tight sets to Yelena Jankovic, so we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about Andy Murray and whether he will actually play in the ATP World Tour Finals after suggesting he might not be able to if he wants to recover in time to play on clay in the Davis Cup Final in Belgium. And following on from the somewhat dubious but nevertheless wonderfully Hollywood-esque story about a Federer fan going into a coma in 2004 and waking 11 years later, shocked to find out his favourite player was still at the top of the game, we ask, what would you have been shocked about to find out would happen 11 years ago? That's what we're going to talk about today, Catherine. I, I can't wait. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to talk about it as long as my vo- voice holds out. Let's... Let's see yeah. how we go. I'll do most of the talking, shall I? <laughs> yes, I think that's yes. a great idea. Okay, yeah, good idea. But first of all, um, as I said, Joe Conter, new British number one and richly deserved. I mean, she's won 19 of her last 20 matches and shows no sign of dipping. I mean, it's a big ask against Victoria Azarenka in the next round of this particular tournament. But regardless, this is... This is now getting very, very interesting from a British point of view. Yeah, after the US Open, it felt like almost only only a matter of time for Joe Conta. Having said that, though, following up on what she did at the US Open and, and prior to it with the, those uh, lower-level tour victories, I think the way she's done... Just beating Andrea Petkovic, for me, 
is a huge deal backing up what she did in New York. It's wins like that, the events like this that are going to get her ranking up, you know, out on the grind and the Asian circuit. It's one thing doing it at the Grand Slams on the biggest stage. It's another thing doing it day in, day out on the grind of the tour, which, yes, you know, it's it, it's one win in, in one location, but she's she's qualified again. She uh, she showed mental fortitude just like she did in New York. She she looks to just be building and building. You know, every day is uh, something better than the day before for her. And if she is going to fulfil her ranking potential, which in New York some people were talking about, you know, being potentially top 20 this is how she's going to do it and she said in New York that British number one wasn't a particular target for her but I can't believe she's not a bit delighted to have that British number one tag and I think it could be I hope it will be really good for Heather Watson to have the motivation of uh, someone to chase. Yes, I think there's truth in that. And of course, there's potential for Laura Robson to join that group as well. We all know how well she is capable of playing. I tell you, I tell you what we are absolutely world class at in this country, Catherine. And that is getting ahead of ourselves. Listen, she's had one run to the last 16 of a Grand Slam. She's qualified for a tournament. And oh no, she's going to be top 20 in the world, is she? No, I'm not saying she's going to be top 20. I think after what people witnessed in New York, they said, you know, all w- with a with a following wind, that's her potential. Now, if she is to fulfill that potential, which, you know, most players probably don't fulfill their full potential, most perhaps an exaggeration, but there are plenty out there that don't. If she is to, it will be wins like the one out in Wuhan over Andrea Petkovic that do it for her, is what I'm saying. I'm saying this is a good sign. Yeah, it is a good sign. I agree with that. Well, today was the second day of Wuhan Open action. And uh, yesterday, uh, that was Joe Conta's win in the first round. She plays her second round match on Tuesday morning, Britain British time. Uh, she may have already played by the time you listen to this, of course. Agnieszka Radvanska, I watched today. She was back to form in Tokyo, winning the title without dropping a set. Looked like the old Agnieszka Radvanska. Then she ran into the train of Venus Williams today, who was in the sort of form that made you remember what she was like 10 years ago. I cannot get enough of watching Venus Williams roll back the years. 20 years on the tour, 35 years of age, Sjogren's syndrome, all the rest that's happened to her. And she just carries it off with serenity. And she still, she has power. It's so interesting watching Martina Hingis do so well on the double circuit. But basically, if she were to play singles, she would just be physically overpowered. Venus Williams has carried her power with her. It's fantastic. Well, she sort of changed the sport, didn't she, along with a couple of others at the time and turned women's tennis into a power sport. I think, you know, Lindsay Davenport had a lot to do with that as well. And, of course, Serena and a couple of others. But she was probably the uh, the biggest protagonist in that enormous shift in women's tennis. Uh, and, yeah, oh, to throw ahead to our conversation coming up about the uh, what would you not believe... 11 years ago, would be going on in tennis today. <clears throat> Venus Williams still being where she is in women's tennis would be right up there with what Roger Federer is doing for me. I mean, I know she's not number two in the world the way Federer is, but I think given all the contest context which you've just listed, the fact that she's out there and the fact that at moments she can look 
you know, the Venus Williams of old, I think is every bit as uh, sensational as what Roger Federer is doing. Yeah, it is absolutely right. Well, we'll get on to that story in further detail in a moment. I think one of the ones that really has captured the imagination, it certainly created a couple of days' worth of headlines, was straight after that Davis Cup final semi-final that we covered and talked about in our most recent tennis podcast. And just after we'd recorded it, in fact, I think while we were recording it, Russell Fuller from BBC Radio 5 Live was talking to Andy Murray, who revealed that he's having to think long and hard about his scheduling now coming up to the Davis Cup final because there's only going to be four four or five days between the final of the ATP World Tour finals and the start of the Davis Cup by BNP Paribas final uh, in Belgium, which will be on a completely different surface, as predicted by Andy Murray. It will be on clay, and so that's a complete surface change. And he basically spilt his heart out to Russell to explain why that was causing him such angst and why he was having to think long and hard about whether he could even play in the ATP World Tour Finals, which, to my memory, has never happened before. I've never known of a player pulling out, effectively strategically, to save themselves for something else from the ATP World Tour Finals. Several players have obviously had to withdraw through injury, but here we are two months out, or, or, or the best part of, from that tournament, and, and here he was talking about that. What were your impressions of, of what you heard and read about that situation? Well, an extraordinary coup journalistically for Russell Fuller. He did fantastically... Um to get what he did from Andy Murray. An an amazing story, really, because I think I was in the press conference Andy Murray did uh, after the Davis Cup, and he was asked about his schedule. All of the British journos asked him about his schedule, and he said he was going to have to to give it some thought, and it would be a bit different this year to, to previous years. But I think, and I think maybe it fleetingly crossed everyone's mind, could he not play the O2, especially at this point, Everyone was thinking that final could be on clay, which we now know it is. And then I think everybody, certainly I, just dismissed that thought immediately and said, no, no, of course he couldn't not play the O2. And I think it's amazingly courageous that at this stage he said that's what he's thinking. I don't think he means to create a stir. I think he just wants to be upfront about it. And I think... Knowing what we do about Andy Murray, the way his body responds to changes of of surface, he's <clears throat> he's not Roger Federer. He can't balletically jump from one surface to another. I mean, even the great Roger Federer, look what it took out of him last year. He had to withdraw from the final of the World Tour Finals uh, and still was substandard at the start of the Davis Cup. Well, Andy Murray can't afford to be substandard in any single one of his matches in that Davis Cup final. He knows that. And I think putting yourself in Andy Murray's shoes, how will he ever forgive himself if he isn't absolutely 100% for that Davis Cup final? That is undoubtedly his target for the year. And if he isn't, 100% ready for it. I don't think he will ever forgive himself. So I utterly understand the line of thought for Andy Murray. I also utterly understand why the ATP are up in arms about it. It's their marquee tournament. Frankly, I don't know what they do about it. I know they've said uh, he would be in line for sanctions if he he did go through with it and not play. But he's already shown by uh, saying that he's prepared to miss the event that financial penalties are 
are neither here nor there to him, he would be foregoing a potential paycheck of, you know, well over one million pounds and, you know, several hundred thousand pounds just for showing up for the World Tour final. So I'm not sure a fine is really going to have any impact on his mindset at all. And the prospect, I've no idea whether this is in the ATP's mind at all, how far they would take it, but the prospect of Andy Murray potentially being banned, which I guess is the next recourse after a fine for what is a very well-intentioned decision if he does follow through with it. I, I think that's pretty unthinkable, really. I mean, these might be famous last words, but the, the prospect of him being banned for for wanting to give his all to his country is uh, is really crossing quite a Rubicon. Well, I think, first of all, I don't think that they have specifically talked about fines. They've been very clear. Certainly, Chris Commode, I think, came out with the right sort of statement just to remind everybody that it is a mandatory tournament and that if you qualify, you're expected to play. Absolutely the right thing to have said in his position in that regard. And, and certainly, he and Andy Murray have as good a relationship, as, I think, as a top player and an administrator have had in the sport, to my knowledge. They get on very well personally. I think they've both bailed one another out in situations in the past. One remembers how Andy Murray played that exhibition match on finals day to stand in for Federer last year, and he played for free. He There was no fee asked for. He just... He interrupted his his holiday time effectively to go and play. So he obviously does care uh, significantly. I, I think this is not, as you said this, rightly, that this is not the sort of thing Andy Murray would take lightly. I do think there's there might have been an element, and I don't know this for fact, but I do think there might have been an element in talking to Russell of an emotional man just letting all of his concerns about what's coming up in the next couple of months spill out uh, audibly, whether whether or not he really meant to do that, I, I, I don't know. Um, but I mean, I think there are a lot of considerations here because yes, he is a wealthy man, but this is also a lot of money we're talking about. This is not a drop in the ocean. You have to play a lot of other tournaments to make this sort of cash. And also there's a there's a bonus pool element for playing all of these tournaments as well. So there's a, there's a huge amount at stake in that regard. I, I'm with you. I don't think for a minute that anybody's going to be banning anybody um, but I, I do think that it is a situation that certainly the ATP will hope resolves with Andy Murray playing I think that there's still a long time to go between now and then and and I still think that there has to be a chance that that was an emotional response we, we have heard that sort of thing from Andy Murray before I think it's understandable that you do it uh, that you say maybe things that when you're emotional and tired and look ahead to things that you might have to do again and think, oh, crikey, how on earth am I going to do that? And you end up telling people about those those fears that you have. I wouldn't be surprised if he did play in the end and that he ended up going to the Davis Cup and being absolutely fine. But I think it does highlight that the situation is far from ideal to have a marquee event, the culmination to a to a year where you're earning points to qualify for something and you you want to be at your very best for it oh and then you've got something else of equal if not more significant value just four days five days later it it's really is far from ideal and, and perhaps this is the sort of situation that will bring that into focus and and change things down down the road absolutely it shines a very bright light on it doesn't it that that issue with the scheduling and i don't i don't think with things as they are, I don't think there is 
an answer. I mean, say, so, okay, move the Davis Cup final. Well, where on earth do you move it to in the calendar? I don't think and you can say specifically anything is in the wrong place in the calendar. I just think, I mean, the bottom line might be it's all just too much tennis. Uh, or the bottom line, I mean... I think were it not for the, uh, in fact, I not think, I feel pretty sure that were it not for the um, change of surface, Andy Murray wouldn't even be contemplating not playing the World Tour Finals. I think that is a huge ask of him physically. And although I agree with you that I think there's a, still a good chance that he might play, when I think about it from Andy Murray's perspective, when I put myself in his mind, I think, it is taking a risk to play. It is taking a risk. He's potentially giving himself just two or three days to hit on the clay and be ready. And he knows he's not the sort of player that can just stroll onto the clay and feel completely comfortable. And who knows what that clay court's going to be like as well. An indoor, purpose-built clay court we've seen in Davis Cup, you know, courts that are built, you know, at short notice aren't necessarily, you know, they're not the truest bouncing clay courts of uh, of Roland Garros or anything. It could be a court that takes quite some adjusting to. And I'm not sure he will ever forgive himself if he is not 100%. If he, if he, if GB lose the Davis Cup final and Andy Murray feels that he gave himself every chance to compete as well as he could for his country, I think that's fine. I think... He's not a man that will allow himself to live with with regrets that were were in his own hands, though, and and that's why I think he probably meant what he said. I really do think he he probably meant it. We shall see. It is a, an interesting one for the future, and actually, it, it also brings into focus the news that we've also had over the last few days. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. In fact, a couple of major administrative sporting administration uh, changes in the sport. First of all, that uh, the CEO of the WTA, Stacey Allister, is to retire from her position, but also David Haggerty from the ITF is coming in as the ITF's new president, the new top man there. And he mentioned in an interview with Christopher Clary, our good friend from the New York Times, one of the journalists we respect the most here on the Tennis Podcast, and David David Haggerty revealed in that interview that he would be in favour of a final four for the Davis Cup in years to come, where you play semi-finals and final in the space, I think, what he was saying, of a week, and you have it on a in a specific venue all at the same time. And that would certainly alleviate some of the problems here, wouldn't it? As, as long as it was scheduled at a point in the calendar that had a bit of room around it. It would. I think it's a format that obviously needs a lot of polishing and a lot of figuring out. But the most important thing is that he is thinking, he's obviously aware that this is not an ideal situation and he is prepared to consider carefully and potentially make the changes necessary. That's the most important thing. And I think that's what the players want to hear. They want to hear, we're aware of this problem and we're prepared to do something about it. It might take a lot of thrashing around in, in boardrooms and meeting rooms and good knows what else to figure out the best solution but burying heads in the sand is is not what anyone wants to hear. And I think that everything that people have heard so far from David Haggerty is is very encouraging, I think. Yes, indeed. So we will see how that all plays out. And we wish the very best of luck as well to David Haggerty and to Stacey Allister in whatever she does in the future and to Francesca Ricci-Bitti, who will depart the ITF as well. Best named sports executive ever. Let's let's give that an honourable mention as he departs his post. Oh, all right. Catherine Whitaker. Do you not agree, Francesco Ricci-Bitti? That's the best name ever. Um, it is quite a good name. I'll, I'll have a think about it because that's a, a very big accolade to, to have bestowed upon him so early on in the tennis podcast discussion over the subject. Now, we, we talked about this story that broke last week. I say story, it should probably be in inverted commas because uh, an awful lot of media outlets were taken in by the news of a man who reportedly went into a coma in December 2004 and woke up a month ago to say that he was stunned to find that his favourite tennis player, Roger Federer, was still playing the game and at the top at the age of 34. Uh, Mr Jesus Pariccio uh, says that he was uh, able to watch his one-time idol play another Grand Slam final at the US Open earlier this month and couldn't believe his eyes. Now, this does sound... The most sensational story, doesn't it, Catherine? And I have to say, I was very, very quick on the retweet button when I read it in the Daily Mirror that particular day. Perhaps a little bit too quickly, because uh, Stephanie Miles, one of the uh, the media from Canada, actually did a little bit of research into this story, and, and, and uh, it does appear that there are an awful lot of holes in this story. However, that doesn't make it not an interesting talking point. And it, it did make us think at the time, if somebody told you in 2004 that X would have happened in tennis 11 years later, would you have believed it? Now fill in X. 
What have you got, Catherine? Well, actually, I have to say I've cheated a bit with this because uh, I've seen the responses that we've had on Twitter. And I think one of the the ones that struck me most was uh, because it, it, it fits perfectly into that 11 year period is that Maria Sharapova would n- never, never have beaten Serena Williams after yeah. in the next 11 years. That is utterly extraordinary i mean back into cost imagine we're in 2004 again Shmira sharapova was poised to take over the mantle she was a huge challenger and they were expected to be this enormous rivalry and to, to imagine that she had not beaten her even once in 11 years is just mind-boggling really absolutely mind-boggling and and particularly uh, when you consider that she beat her twice in 2004 both at Wimbledon and at the tour finals exactly it was basically this time 11 years ago that Maria Sharapova got her last victory over Serena Williams so I think in terms of neatly snugly fitting into that 11 year period I think uh, that's that's pretty perfect in terms of I suppose it's not an anomaly. It's it. I don't, I don't know what it is. I can't. I mean, yes, Serena Williams has been a better tennis player over Maria Sharapova over that period, but there are numerous other factors at play in that unrivalry, as uh, Christopher Clary so elegantly uh, dubs it between those two. The unrivalry of Maria Sharapova and Serena Williams. Yes. And now you and McQueen and Toby Nelms both go for Andy Roddick ending his career without winning another Grand Slam title. And if you remember back, he'd, of course, broken his duck at the US Open the year before. And he f- he would go on to finish that year as the world number one. And I, I think it's a very fair point. The idea that Roddick might never have won another Grand Slam title seemed preposterous at the time shows the domination that Roger Federer particularly in the best years of Andy Roddick's career how dominant he became um I have to say and and it's very easy for me to sit here and say this now I did speculate at the time whether he ever would win another Grand Slam title um although I think it's also fair to say that Roddick became a much better tennis player than I thought he would become and I think he probably deserved to win another Grand Slam title given those levels of improvement. I do too. You know my feelings on Wimbledon 2009 and as much of a Federer fan as I have become in my latter years I still I still lament the Wimbledon that Andy Roddick didn't win I think I think yes at the at the time even when he did become world number 1 and that was in a slight lull of the game yes Federer had won his first Wimbledon but it was just before Federer became Federer it was post Sampras just pre Federer there are a couple of players that snuck in there you know there was Juan Carlos Ferrero was world number 1 before Andy Roddick there was Leighton Hewitt before that so those three players not taking anything away from them timing is everything we've discussed that before but I did think he might win one or two more I did think he probably deserves to have a Wimbledon trophy sitting on his mantelpiece. But I'm not too worried for Andy Roddick. I think he's fine. I don't think we need to worry about him crying himself to sleep at night. No, I think he made it pretty clear when he appeared on the tennis podcast last December that life's pretty good if you're Andy Roddick. Uh, now, Matt Roberts says, uh, what about the fact that two men, Rafa and Federer, would have equaled and passed Sampras on 14 slams with another one, Djokovic, closing in on the total as well. Who could possibly believe that might have happened? Back in 2004, when Rafael Nadal hadn't even won a slam yet, I don't think many people had even heard of him at that time. Nobody had certainly ever heard of Novak Djokovic at the time. 
Pete Sampras had only four years earlier finally broken the record of Roy Emerson, which had stood for a long, long time and eventually got himself up to 14. Imagine if somebody had come up to Pete Sampras the day after he retired and said, right, in 12 years' time, two men will have passed you and another one will only be four behind you. Yeah, in a few years' time, your your achievements are going to look utterly pedestrian, Pete. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. I think we will only probably realise how incredible it is in, in years to come when this era is a distant memory because we're in it at the moment and so it, it feels, if not quite normal, it certainly feels like it's the status quo, isn't it? But I think in years to come we will look back on this and go, what on earth was that? All these superhuman tennis players. Indeed. Uh, Ali says, uh, what about Kleisters would win a slam retire 18 months later, have a baby, come back, and in her first slam back, win while beating Serena. (laughs) That's a corker, Ali. Well done. Uh, Scott Ferguson says that Great Britain and Belgium would make a Davis Cup final and also mentions the point about Sharapova uh, still not having beaten Serena. Debbie Carey and Claire Gammon (laughs) say that a British man would win Wimbledon. You know, I mean, seriously, if you think about it, 2004, yes, this time 11 years ago, we knew of Andy Murray, didn't we, in that he'd, he'd won the US Open junior title. He also got thrashed, I remember, by John McEnroe, 6-1 in that superset tournament they had at Wembley Arena. I, I think it is believable to, to have thought that Andy Murray might have won Wimbledon. Um, I can't say I predicted it, though. I, I wasn't 100% sure that his game would, would work as well as it has on grass. No, if there's anyone out there claiming to have predicted that 11 years ago, I'd like to I'd like to look them in the eye. Yes, indeed. Uh, Joe Tipson says uh, that Serena would complete a second non-calendar slam more than 12 years after her first. <laughs> Very good one, Joe. M says that Mario Ancic would not be a slam winner or number one. Now, I I love Mario Ancic both as a player and a, and a, a top guy. But, uh, but I would not have picked him as a Grand Slam champion myself. I don't know about you, Catherine. No, nor me. I, th- I think I would have picked him to do more in his career, but we know that other things intervene to prevent that from happening. But uh, with all the talent that he had still, I, I, I think to say that people were predicting him as a Slam champion or, or number one, I, I think is a bit of a stretch. But certainly a shame not to have seen him achieve a bit more in in the intervening years. Yeah, I certainly would have expected him to have been a top, probably a top five player in the world at some point in his career if uh, illness and injury hadn't struck so horribly. Glenn Prince uh, finishes for us with the fact that both Williams would still be playing. I mean, I, I agree. 11 years on, considering they'd already been going for five or six years, it is extraordinary. Right now, Catherine, as we finish off this tennis podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph, it's time to put our necks on the line. Our predictions for 2026 in 11 years' time. What will be happening? What will have happened in tennis by that time? Shall I tell you? Please do, David, and then I can copy you. Okay, here we go. Yeah, the knockup will have gone. Uh, Novak Djokovic will have retired with the same number of slam titles as Roger Federer. Fine, yeah. You're not saying, you're not putting a number on that, I notice. Pretty good prediction if it comes true, let's be fair. Andy Murray will have spent a brief spell as the world number one, and Serena will have retired on 25 slams. That's, wow, that is a neck firmly on the line. I can't, I can't. I Excellent. can't fault the, uh, the boldness of that, David, for once. Or the stupidity. <laughs> 
Catherine, your turn. Oh, crikey. Um, Do you want a couple of listener ones before you before you add in your little last one? Yeah, hit me with some listener ones so I can copy those, yeah. Susie, Susie says that Davis Cup will be only every two years by then and that there will be finally be a grass court masters and that there will be a no-let rule. Blimey, three and one. Uh, Zoe says Djokovic will hold the highest number of slams and Kyrgios probably still causing controversy. That's a bit mean, Zoe, if possibly true. Uh, Kelvin says Federer's daughters will be playing tennis at the junior and WTA level. Liam says Chorich, Nishikori and team will all be Grand Slam champions. Ooh. Christine McKenzie says serve and volley will have made a comeback. Fingers crossed. Uh, Rachel Wormsley says uh, five-set matches will have been discontinued after at least one top current player ends up unable to walk and needing a wheelchair. Rachel. Some, some of those are more outlandish than others. Um, in terms of format of the game, I do think a lot might change in the next 10 years. I agree, knock-up... I mean, the knock-up can go tomorrow, as far as I'm concerned. The sooner that happens, the better. I do think the swell of opinion behind that is growing and it feels like only a matter of time I think the let on the uh, a service let might have its days numbered as well because I feel like that feels ever more preposterous uh, the service let so I think that might go I think schedule wise I think it's not inconceivable that the Davis Cup could go every couple of years I think there are financial etc implications of that but I mean just look at the Ryder Cup for a model of how brilliantly that can work um now proper neck on the line stuff I think Djokovic I I think that's not a bad one from you to say that he'll end up with the same as Federer I mean he's already close close he's got seven fewer I know but look at the rate that he's racking them up I think he might end up with one fewer I think he will I definitely think he will surpass Nadal um without question I think he will end up with one fewer than Federer and could that be because Federer wins one more well I'm not going to make that prediction because I already did say several years ago on the women's side what do I think will happen I like the idea of thinking about obviously 11 years is probably too far away to think about who might be world number one but yeah I mean the the Federer kids surely four of them surely there's a chance that one of those is going to be working their way to the top of the game by then also Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf's kids will be what around about 20 years old by then yeah but i think i think their son is a is a baseball fanatic so i think i think that one's not going to happen somehow i have to say if federer's kids don't any of them become a proper player i'm going to be really disappointed and angry it would be an enormous waste of inevitable talent wouldn't it but imagine if your dad's roger federer there's i mean talk about sort of having to follow in your parents enormous footsteps i mean talk about intimidating i'm not sure i'm not sure i would want to take that yeah on. but this these are federer's kids they're gonna they're gonna be able to take it all within their stride and they're just gonna do it with style and they're gonna have panache and they're gonna also be ruthlessly efficient as well yeah and they'll be wearing blazers at the age of 11 or something something preposterous and yeah, carrying okay. it off one of federer's kids then but they'll still be a bit young They'll still be a bit young to be taking the world on. I'd love to know 
what Nick Kyrgios and Tanasi Kokonakis and Borna Chorich et al. will have achieved. In oh, shall I tell you? Ali says that uh, the, the, the following will have all won the French Open. Jack Sock, Dominic Team, and Tanasi Kokonakis will have all won the French Open. And Kvitova will be a six-time Wimbledon champion. He thinks Dominic Team and Jack Sock will have won the French Open. Crikey. Yeah, that, you heard it that, here that first. Is, that is somebody that really doesn't mind putting their neck on the line. I applaud that, if not not the actual predictions themselves. Go Ali, I say. Don't worry about accuracy. <laughs> Just be outlandish. That's what we do here on the Tennis Podcast. Well, Catherine, I think it's about time that we go because I've got to go and watch my favourite football team, West Bromwich Albion, probably lose. But not to worry. That's what football supporting is all about. Just a quick word on Champions Tennis at the Royal Albert Hall. John McEnroe, Tim Henman, Henri Lacan's already signed up for that as well as James Blake and Fernando Gonzalez. More names coming as well. Do get on to championstennis.co.uk and the Royal Albert Hall website and search for tennis if you'd like tickets for that. It's the 2nd second, second to the 6th of December and it will be a cracking occasion as it is every single year. But Catherine, for now, from us, it is goodbye. <laughs> Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.